This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Be Heard Talk, an award-winning talk show that adds a sprinkle of trap music, Asada Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave your comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and we will read them throughout this show. My name is Selena Hill, and I'm the founder of Be Heard Talk and the digital editor at Black Enterprise, and I'm super excited to be here with you all to talk about ADOS. This movement actually stands for American Descendants of Slaves, and they're called for U.S. reparations that are based on lineage, not race. So we will have this discussion during the second half of our show with our featured guest, Chad Brown of the ADOS LA chapter. So stay tuned, we will get Chad on later. Now, before I introduce my co-host, I actually wanna thank our official media sponsor, Black Enterprise, and our sponsor, Black Spectrum Theater. Start your subscription today and enjoy Black Spectrum home video series. This month gives you the 70s on December 18th and Funkin' for Jamaica on December 24th through December 26th. Head to blackspectrum.com to become a season pass subscriber and to learn more. Now, let's start the show by introducing my co-host, starting with Stanley Fritz. Hey, Selena, happy Sunday. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? So far, so good. So, folks, what's going on? Happy to be here another Sunday. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite former engineer on the PC ones and twos. By day, I am the New York State political director at Citizen Action of New York. By night, I am a writer. And by Sundays, I am the co-host of Be Heard Talk. I'm really excited about this whole show. And I hope you guys have a great time. If you enjoy this show and you like what you're hearing, please take a screenshot and post it on any socials you have. And make sure you tag us. And we'll be sure to retweet, share, like, repost, whatever it is we can do on any of those platforms. But until then, where is the queen? Where is the messy god? Where is she, Selena? She's here. Our other co-host, Tammy David. Your shout out from Harlem. Harlem. Hi, y'all. Happy Sunday. Hey. Hey. As always, I'm so happy to see your faces. I am ready to talk some smack today because after the conversations I've heard on Clubhouse, I need to know what's good with Eidos. Hi everyone, my name is Tammy David and I'm known here at Be Heard Talk as the problematic fave. Uh, today, I wanna talk about the unnecessary division going on in the black community, as if any of us will get anywhere without the others backing them. It's basically black eugenics and prejudice. And from what I've heard on Clubhouse, again, I'm ready for an explanation about the disrespect. But before we get to the spice, it's time for my favorite part of the show, the news roundup, the part where we bring you the stories from the past week that had you both shocked and bothered. This week, we're discussing capital punishment, a convenient reason to kill black men, privilege on red table talk, and uh, more clubhouse. So thank you for all of those who have joined us so far. If you wanna pitch stories to us or drop a dime, please leave comments and follow us at Be Heard Talk. Thank you guys so much. So let's start with something that is really stressing us out here at Be Heard Talk. 
So it's been 131 years since the last time there was a federal execution under a lame duck president. So a lame duck is basically a politician that is just biding his time, his or her time, because their predecessor or sorry, their successor has already been chosen. Now, there are six federal executions scheduled in the final weeks of the administration. This is unheard of. Basically, people are on death row and Trump's administration is rushing to execute them before he leaves office. As of November 19th, President Trump has overseen eight executions, tying Eisenhower's record that covered his entire eight-year term. Yikes. So these cases talk obviously about innocence versus culpability, racial bias, issues around mental illness, and fairness. But now we're seeing a whole new national interest on capital punishment. Now, celebrities and politicians have been pushing to eradicate the death penalty, especially as statistics show falling support for capital punishment. And with the recent deaths of Brandon Bernard just this Thursday and then Alfred Bourgeois the next day, eyes are turned to how President-elect Joe Biden will handle the death penalty. Biden hasn't supported ending the death penalty in the past, but currently his criminal justice plan calls for the eradication of the death penalty. It also suggests that those sentenced to death should serve life sentences without probation or parole. Activists are now rallying to fight against upcoming executions, which are set for January 12th through 21st. Now, Selena, I want to talk to you first about this because obviously, like, you're seeing more and more coverage about this. Do you think that activists can successfully pull back some of these executions? Oh, you're muted. Thank you, Tammy. No, the answer to that, in my opinion, is no, not under the Trump administration. If we look at all of the people that got involved to save uh, Brian Bernard, that included Kim Kardashian, that included high-powered attorneys that actually defended Trump at one point, it included Reverend Jesse Jackson, there was a national campaign on social media, everyone was calling to stop this execution of this 40-year-old black father who made a tragic, um, horrible mistake at the age of 18. However, the data shows that the level of involvement he had in killing two white people, and, and please note, they were white, um, did not call a warrant, the death penalty. And I actually want to just, you know, talk about some of the statistics because they're also horrifying. Since executions were reintroduced in the United States in 1977, nearly 300 black defendant, defendants have been executed for the murder of a white victim while only 21 white defendants have been executed for the murder of a black victim. And that is according to Death Penalty Information Center. Um, so again, this just shows the historical context and disparity when it comes to capital punishment and how it's disproportionately affected black people. Activists in this, in this realm have been calling to stop capital punishment for decades on end. Thank you so much, Selena, especially for the information. From the same source, uh, death penalty info, I see that one person has been reprieved, which means that they will still be executed, but just postponed to a later date. Stanley, do you think that Trump is rushing this for his career, or is it more a show of like conservative sports, saying that he does support this and his followers support it? 
I think it's all about ideology. They, the, the Republican Party, particularly those on the right, are extremely punitive. Um, it doesn't hurt that a lot of these people who are on death row are black. It doesn't matter that some of the evidence they use to convict some of these black people who are currently incarcerated is shaky at best. This is what they want to do. And Trump has had to deliver for his base for quite some time because he knows that he has no future and he will have no interest for the Republican Party to defend his shenanigans if he does not give them what they want. So I'm not surprised about this. I'm disgusted about it. So this is part of the course for a party that's pretty much just fully embraced white supremacy in every way. For those of you listening who are against capital punishment, I know I myself am strongly against it and would advocate for legislation condemning it federally and do support Biden in that proposal. Please go to deathpenaltyaction.org. There are a number of petitions right now and activists on the ground who are uh, trying to get some of these cases tossed or at least grant reprieve until past Joe Biden's inauguration date. So again, that's deathpenaltyaction.org. Sign something, say something, make some calls, and let's free some black men today. Now, next up, I want to talk about something equally as scary, even if you're not doing anything and just minding your business. And that is a Proud Boy protest in your town. This week, the Proud Boys once again showed their behinds during the Stop the Steal protests in reaction to the Supreme Court tossing a Texas lawsuit. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, they lost that lawsuit, Trump's team, that would challenge the vote in key swing states. And obviously, Trumpers and Stop the Steal supporters are not having any of that. Proud Boys stayed the night in D.C., got drunk, got in fights, burned Black Lives Matter signs in front of black churches, and assaulted a ton of people, including police officers. The pastor of Asbury United Methodist Church, which was one of the churches that was affected by the violence, responded to the burning of the church's sign by saying that it was reminiscent of cross burnings. Multiple people were stabbed, four in particular, 23 were arrested, and many, many, many injured, including several police officers. Although the Trump administration tends to toe the line between its formal affiliation with the Proud Boys, one of their leaders was seen leaving the White House just before protests began. Stanley, even though Trump has basically admitted loss and is failing. He is continuing to incite violence all around the country. What can we do to protect ourselves from Proud Boys that may come out during the inauguration of Joe Biden? Black people should arm themselves, point blank period. These Proud Boys are very committed to going after black and brown people, particularly black people. They're burning a Black Lives Matter flag. Black people should absolutely arm themselves. The police ain't gonna help us. We know that already. The government is not going to help us. We see what they do. You should absolutely arm yourselves because these are white savages and what they're doing is unexcusable. Protect yourselves first. So we're getting some great comments. Thank you all of you who are tuning in. Chris Newman says, imagine where this world, let alone this country would be if it weren't for racist white people. Selena, how ahead of the game would we be? Like, seriously, we can't even get a proper, like, democratic institution to be uh, validated <laughs> without racists swarming the streets. What's up with that? 
Yeah. Well, I, I think that we've seen, uh, you know, this country was founded on racism, uh, white supremacy. And what we've seen in the last four years is they have felt emboldened under the Trump administration. Uh, they have a disregard for facts and reality. They are calling for, they're saying that Trump somehow stole the election when there's evidence to show that he actually stole it in 2016 with the help of foreign operate, um, people, uh, foreign um, operators. So now if you just look at the facts and what's going on in 2020, that was not the case. And yet, and still they are swarming the streets and putting people in harm's way for an election that was won fair and square. Look, Joe Biden wasn't my first choice either, but this is the outcome. And the fact that they use anything to just, you know, um, advocate for white supremacy, to continue to take it to the streets, to take off their masks. Um, I'm talking about the KKK um, hoods as well. Like, you know, it, it's just a new world that we're living in. And I kind of feel that even though Trump will be out of the White House in January, uh, January uh, 2021, there is no way that this will be an end to the Trumpism that we've seen. It looks like one commenter is agreeing with the level of violence and disrespect of the Proud Boys. J JB, thank you for commenting on YouTube. They say the Proud Boys are terrorists and should be treated as terrorists. Absolutely agree. And now when you remember, right, the Black Lives Matter protests in DC, they were treated like terrorists. Yep. Trump ran into his cellar like he ran down there because he was so scared. Police were macing, hurting, and running over individuals with their trucks. It's crazy how people begging for their lives are not treated with respect, yet people who are actively trying to murder Black people are treated with dignity and told, you know, you can go ahead and protest. Stanley, how do you feel about the Proud Boys at this exact moment? Like I said, the Proud Boys are dirty knuckle-dragging savages who probably have sex with their cousins and their siblings. And they're not much different than most of the people in the Republican Party. The fact of the matter is no one's stopping them or holding them accountable because America is racist inherently. And white folks are looking the other way because if they have to acknowledge the fact that the Proud Boys are problematic, they have to acknowledge the fact that they too are problematic and they too are racist and they too are probably having sex with their siblings. And if they do that, then well, guess who the real problem is? They are and it's not happening. I think we should mark the Proud Boys as a terrorist group the minute Biden becomes president officially, and we should also put press all charges and any charges we can against Trump and anyone in his administration. Thank you so much, Stanley. I see some commenters are getting riled up. Thank you, all the ADO supporters who are joining us live. I'm seeing Chicago, I'm seeing LA. Thank you guys so much for joining. We are very excited for the conversation. We will be getting to that shortly. Um, next up on the News Roundup roster, I want to talk about something that we seemingly forgot about, but is coming back up out of the blue. So Olivia Jade Giannulli, uh, I don't know if you guys remember who she is, but she is the daughter of actress Lori Laughlin and designer Massimo Giannulli, who spearheaded this college admission scandal that blew up all over. For the first time publicly sharing her experience, the influencer has chosen Red Table Talk, which is Jada Pinkett Smith's show with her daughter and mom, as her safe space to talk. She opens up about the scandal and issues an apology. Here is the short video now. 
I'm not trying to victimize myself. I don't want right. pity. I don't deserve pity. We messed up. I just want a second chance to be like, I recognize I messed up. Right. And for so long, I wasn't able to talk about this because of the legalities behind it. I never got to say, I'm really sorry that this happened or right. I really own that this was a big mess up on everybody's part. But I think everybody feels that way in my family right now. So Olivia and her younger sister, Isabel, were falsely admitted to USC due to half a million dollars in bribes paid, by, paid out by her parents that landed her place on the school's crew team. Shortly after the news came out, uh, video footage of Olivia was released about how she doesn't care about college and is there for the parties. Obviously, she and others like her got slam dunked. So through the show, she admitted shocking bits of her privilege and apologized profusely. She admitted that when she was applying, she wasn't aware of what was going on and was living in a bubble where paying a college recruiter was the norm. She admitted to being embarrassed and added that she wasn't a good she was a good high school student but didn't deserve to be at USC. Her father began serving a five-month sentence last month, and her mom is set to be released in a few weeks from her two-month sentence. So the question now is, do we forgive her and her family? While host Jada Pinkett Smith seemed to welcome her with open arms, her mom, Adrian Banfield Norris, said, quote, I found it really ironic that she chose three black women to reach out to for her redemption story. White women coming to black women for support when we don't get the same from them. Now, as a reminder for you all, when the allegations first came out, Olivia neither apologized or attempted to understand her wrongdoing. Instead, she tried unsuccessfully to revive her influencer career. Selena, are we forgiving Olivia for this? Because she is a child after all. Look, I'll say this about Olivia. Uh, she has all the privilege in the world. I think she's about, what, 19, 20 years old. I, I do agree that she was living in a bubble, a bubble of white elitist privilege in Hollywood. And I'm happy that she's finally acknowledging it. Look, with forgiveness also comes, you know, redemption. But I want to see action. Right. What is she doing with her privilege? I know that she started volunteering with um, some youth in South Los Angeles. Um, but to me, I'm like, is this just a PR stunt or a PR move? Or is she really dedicated to dismantling the systems of oppression that put her in privilege? That's what I want to see. Like, yes, a sorry is a sorry. But sis, you need to come up and you need to come correct. And the fact that her mom did, what, a few weeks, a few months in prison, her dad did five months in prison. Once they come back, it's going to be a jolly, you know, a, a jolly situation. They're still, you know, rich, very wealthy. They live in their mansion. They're going to remain in their bubble. So it, it's, it's really hard to say without some real action being put forth. Oh, sorry, Stanley. No problem. I remember when I was in college, be, I used to be one of the only black people in my classes a lot of the times, and white people would tell me that I'm only here for EOP, or be surprised when I didn't get in because of EOP, education, equal educational opportunity programs. And I used to feel the chip in my shoulder to be the smartest person in the class and get the highest grades and always show up on time, because I thought and I knew that those white folks were looking at me crazy. So the fact that she got in because of her parents' money is not just offensive, it's a slap in the face. But at the same time, this is the institution of racism and, and, and privilege. This is a combination of racism and capitalism working together. 
And we've got to break this structure where if you are white or if you have money, you can do whatever you want to do. And this shines a light to the fact that so many white people question the qualifications of black folks when it's really your own folks who don't deserve to be where they say they are. Shout out to y'all and the comments right now. The comments are spicy. People are totally agreeing with Adrian. They're totally agreeing with you guys. Sarah Bunny says, absolutely not. They should have been jailed for years. And Arlene Wilcox with the truth right now, no forgiveness, black women still in jail for enrolling children in different school districts. Word. I mean, like black women don't get a break. If they want their kids to receive higher quality education, they can't even cross the line to the other picket fence, much less offer a bribe to a school institution, to a highly accredited institution for that place and privilege. You know, I, I would like to say that I don't blame Olivia for being born into a privilege bubble. She probably didn't think there was anything wrong with it. But what I do blame her for is not appreciating what she got. Like, she admits it. She didn't deserve to go to USC. So I feel like once she got in, why was she on the internet saying that she didn't want to study, that she was only there to party, that she doesn't care about school? Why didn't she pipe up when this happened and apologize to all the black and brown people who can't afford to go to USC, but blow her grades out of the water? To me, it smells fishy. And I kind of respect Adrian uh, Banfield Norris for calling her out on using a black platform, a black platform where women will have to say, hey, that's okay. Now, one last story, just want to give y'all a quick update. I know we got Chad in the house. Welcome, Chad. We're so excited to talk to you. But before we get to our main segment, let's talk the COVID vaccine so y'all know what's what. Now, FedEx and UPS are trending, and it's because today it is shipping, Pfizer is shipping 20 million doses to 145 sites in all 50 states. Healthcare workers are expected to receive the treatment first, and experts aren't predicting full immunization for the public until late spring. However, this has not stopped the crazy discourse on the effects of the vaccine and whether or not we even want to take it. So since there's so much discourse, I will bring some facts to the table. Now, the vaccine has been approved for ages 16 plus, not been tested on children. Pregnant women and immunocompromised individuals can be vaccinated on a case-by-case -case basis. Common side effects include reactions at the point of injection, fatigue, headache, muscle pain, chills, joint pain, and fever. Ain't that COVID? Yeah, basically. But it's the same as it's the same as the flu vaccine. It's giving you a little bit of COVID so that you can make antibodies for it. So right. that's why you experience the symptoms of it. Uh, severe adverse reactions are occurring in less than 4.5% of trial participants and is more likely to occur in older adults. So for those young people who wanna go out there and party, get the vaccine, you will be fine. Now, something worrisome, health authorities in the UK said that people with a, quote, significant history of allergic reactions should not receive the vaccine. Two healthcare workers in the U UK responded very badly following their shots. The treatment does require two vaccinations. However, studies are showing a 94% rate of immunity after the first dose. So it's much more effective than we thought initially. And lastly, 
Yes, you still have to wear a mask and socially distance, even if you're vaccinated, at least until late spring. Herd immunity works when the majority of the population has the vaccine, which will not happen until late spring. So even if you're a part of the lucky few that gets it this winter, please continue to wear a mask. And if you don't, definitely wear a mask. How are poor people supposed to pay for this? Us. <laughs> Great question. We live in capitalism, so let's hope they have Medicaid or they live in a blue state like ours, which we will likely get the vaccine for free. I'm hearing that Elevation has a funny comment. Selena, can I throw it to you for that one? Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I was on mute. Uh, Elevation, we could probably pull the comment up. He says, let all the Democrats take the vaccine first. If they die, it will be their I'm, own fault. Uh, I, look, I, I, I take that as satire. I take that as sarcasm. It, it's it's a really spicy. But I mean, honestly, it's coming out under the Trump administration. Like, I understand not everyone is a fan of the Democratic Party. Us here on Be Her Talk have been very critical of the Democratic Party. Uh, but we need to understand that this virus and pandemic was exasperated under a Republican administration as the Republicans had control over both, um, has control over the Senate as well. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, human lives are at stake here. And our scientists have been working at full capacity to develop a vaccine and hopefully eventually a cure that will save people. At the end of the day, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, we're all human and we all are connected one way or another. And another thing, we know that this virus is also disproportionately affecting people who are black and brown. So yes, we need a vaccine, uh, we need a cure, and we also need leadership that is competent in handling situations like this. Mm, perfectly said, Selena. This affects us more than anything. So we need to make sure that we are getting vaccinated. We are being careful and mindful with how we're treating our bodies in the next few months so that we don't get sick. And lastly, have no fear because Pfizer's vaccine is one of a few that are being rolled out. On Thursday, the FDA will meet again about Moderna's vaccine, and hopefully it will get the same quick check of approval that Pfizer did, which means we will have a fast competitor. Thank you all so much for joining us and leaving amazing comments. Again, follow us at Be Heard Talk, DM us, comment, what do you want to hear next week? Without further ado, the conversation that y'all have been waiting on, I cannot wait. For those of you enjoying the show so far, get ready to screenshot and post it on social media at Be Heard Talk. Let us know what you like and are excited to hear now. Selena, back to you. Thank you so much, Tammy. So the police killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other black men and women this year has triggered the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement that has swept the globe. But in, in addition to calling for police reform and an end to racial oppression, many within the black community are calling for reparations. Now this idea of reparations for slavery actually dates all the way back to the end of the civil war and back to the term 40 acres and a mule. Um, you know, we've been having these conversations internally, but it was just as of recent where this conversation has become very mainstream. Uh, for instance, last year, it was a hot topic on the campaign trail, and we heard a number of Democratic presidential candidates voicing support for slavery reparations. One of the most prominent groups responsible for pushing this issue into mainstream discourse is the American descendants of slaves, also known as ADOS or ADOS. 
This is a social movement that advocates uh, that advocates for meaningful political and social reform solely on behalf of the black community and prioritizes the unique experiences of African Americans at the head of its movement. However, in addition to redefining the national understanding of African American identity, hmm. Eidos demands nationwide reparations based on lineage, not race. The group, which was co-founded by Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore, is calling for set-asides for American descendants of slaves only. So that includes the uh, U.S. Census. That should include a new designation for those descendants to di differentiate them from Black immigrants and also other minorities, um, etc. Now, critics, however, of Eidos say that their politics are xenophobic, transphobic, homophobic and fosters voter apathy and even promotes divisiveness within the black community. Others point out that their advocacy leaves an entire group of people out, American born descendants of immigrants. Where do they go and who will they be aligned to? So to join us for this very important and timely conversation, we have Chad Brown, an advisory board member of Eidos Los Angeles, to address the growth of Eidos, its push for nationwide reparations based on lineage and criticism about the movement. Thank you so much for joining us, Chad. I you know, Get off your platform. I'm sorry, Chad, you were on mute, go ahead. Okay, sorry, I was just saying hello. Thank you for inviting Eidos onto your platform. I'm excited to be here. Um, thank you for that lead in, Selena. That was very gracious. Uh, I would make just a slight correction ADOS stands for American Descendants of Slavery as an institution of United States chattel slavery. And we have no affiliation with BLM whatsoever. Okay, well, thank you for that clarification. Absolutely. Chad, can you talk about why you joined ADOS? I read in your bio that you were also a leader of a local NAACP chapter. Why did you join ADOS and what are the goals of this movement? Uh, so, number one, I did not join ADOS. I am ADOS. So, as you said in your lead-in, ADOS is a lineage distinction. So, we are recentering the national identity of what it means to be African-American. We are reclaiming that, and we are saying that it should be based upon and centered around lineage versus melanin content, as you would have with like a people of color sort of designation or a black flat blackness designation. So I didn't join anything. I am ADOS. And once you come to that realization of who you are and what your identity is, that comes with a very specific set of circumstances and a justice claim here in the country that our ancestry built and made wealthy. So it wasn't so much of a conscious decision to join anything. It really was just aligning with others who share my lineage, share my ancestry and, and common goals here in the country. Um Chad, another thing. So earlier this year, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the state's historic reparations bill into law, which moves descendants of enslaved Americans one step closer to getting restitution for centuries of free labor and legal discrim discrimination that followed it. What role did your Eidos chapter play in getting this bill signed? Absolutely. No, um, I'm with ADOS Los Angeles, but there are ADOS chapters all throughout California, north to south. Uh, there are ADOS chapters all throughout this nation at this point and popping up daily. But here in California, uh, we 
We saw that there was a bill that was proposed in the California State Assembly by Dr. Shirley Weber, Assemblywoman Dr. Shirley Weber, who also chairs the California Legislative Black Caucus. Um, it was for a to form a task force to study reparations and California's role in the institution of child slavery uh, nationally. And so obviously we are reparationists. We are focused on our reparations as a centerpiece of a black agenda and collective uplift. So we reached out and got involved in that process early on. Uh, representatives from ADOS Los Angeles were instrumental in helping craft language in that bill to make sure that number one, it did not preclude federal reparations because at the end of the day, reparations is a federal responsibility. It is a matter for the US federal government not a local or state matter, but also to make sure that we had lineage specificity within that bill, because obviously there is a specific mm. group that is owed reparations for restitution, for slavery and institutional Jim Crow that ensued. Let's talk about that specificity. I'm sorry. Let's talk about that, because who would actually qualify for reparations based on that philosophy that it needs to be lineage based and not race, if you could just expand on that. Absolutely, so our work and our advocacy is rooted in the uh, the research and study of Dr. William Sandy Darity, Duke professor and economist. They've recently published a book, From Here to Equality, um, which spells out criteria for who would be eligible for any program of reparations. And this is a this is accepted criteria that we, that we have taken on in the ADOS movement. And so it's two-pronged. First, there is a lineage test. So that simply means that you can trace your ancestry back to the American institutions of chattel slavery. Secondly, there's a identification test. So you have self-identified as black, African-American, colored, or Negro for at least 12 years prior to the onset of any reparations program or prior to the, to the formation of any national commission to study reparations. So I actually want to get um, I want to get Stanley and Tammy's voice into this conversation. I know Stanley wanted to ask you a question, Chad. But before we get sure. to that, um, you know, Stanley, what what have you heard about Ados? I was first introduced to Ados last year. And because of Clubhouse, I was able to hear and learn more about the group. Uh, Yvette Carnell is very popular and, and very active on Clubhouse. So I heard a number she, of she's her incredible. Talks. She's an incredible uh -huh. teacher, absolutely. And so, Stanley, what what are your thoughts? And then we'll get to Tammy. Well, before before I get to my thoughts, I want to tease Chad a little bit um, because you said like they gotta have acknowledged like acknowledged and identify as Edos for at least twelve years. How do you prove that, bro? Like, what if like they pull up like, yeah, man, I've been holding it down for mad long, but somebody's like, no, they haven't. How like how do you how do you check that? Well, uh, you could use census records. Uh, you could use any applications that you've made to you know, college or for any program, loan programs, anywhere where you've been asked what your racial ethnic identity is and you've checked black or African-American. I mean, to be honest with you, Stanley, it, I, when I hear that question, it really kind of reeks of, you know, how do we know who we are, right? That's, that's the essence of that question. And if you talk to any ADOS person, we understand who we are. We understand our lineage. We we know our contributions to this country. So it really isn't that complex. Well, I'm sorry if it came all the way. That's not the intention. Sure. I'm also laughing because, like, you know, when you know what once once the money comes in, folks will pull up out of nowhere. So I was thinking about like de dealing with that part of it. That's that's why we that's why we subscribe to the fact that for 12 years prior 
to the program you have identified this way to stop those, you know, Johnny come lately and those who would want to then cling on to Adolf's lineage just for the benefit of reparations? Well, you know what? I'm actually glad Stanley asked that question, Chad. And I know, you know, he's saying don't take it a type of way, but you really do have to clarify something like this when the movement is so identity based. Like there are a lot of us who are, you know, half Caribbean, half American, you know, or um, might have parents who are immigrants and, and um, consider ourselves American because we never grew up in that culture. So, you know, we just want to know like how, how um, you guys would check for that, but I appreciate your answer. Um, for me personally, I feel like my experience with Eidos has been largely sort of negative internet clickbait stuff. So that's why the way that you're answering, I really appreciate you being very specific because I know that members of a movement, you know, should not represent the movement's goal and cause and mission but that's what happens. Like, you know, you see the idiot proud boys and that's, that's conservatives. And then when you see Eidos dudes who are like really gatekeeping and problematic, um, you tend to wonder if this is a movement that is just about sort of exclusivity and uh, division. So that, that was my experience, but I really appreciate you coming and clarifying because when you have those metrics, it proves that you can, you know, sort of have a group of individuals working together for a cause that specifically affects them. Absolutely. And ADOS is not doing anything different than what other peoples and groups do. You align based upon shared common interests, shared common lineage, shared common experiences. And that's all we're saying is that we are a specific group in this country that should be recognized and should not be just lumped in under terms that don't mean anything and that serve to erase our specific lineage and contributions to this country. So in no way is ADOS divisive. We are just recognizing the divisions that already exist, these separations that already exist between groups. Each group should be have its own right to autonomy and its own right to specificity. And ADOS is no different. Stanley, what, what Stanley, what reaction or learnings have you had of Eidos or experiences? And do you feel um, that you are supportive of the movement? So, I mean, my experience is the information that Chad is sharing with us seems like pretty, like, that's pretty consistent with what I've heard. Um, I've also had some pretty negative experiences with Eidos, unfortunately. But, like, the thing I want to talk to Chad about is because I'm not sure if those are Eidos folks or just folks who claim to be Eidos, but I've been in... Um, I've been I've seen on social media folks who claim to be Eidos using very like anti-immigrant language. Um, I've been on Clubhouse, the app Clubhouse, which is in beta testing right now, where I've been in rooms trying to learn about Eidos, and folks just without provocation start talking about Black immigrants. I've been in rooms where like and I, folks were like, "Well, you know, these Black immigrants come in here and they take our resources and, not, and they take our jobs," and I've been like, "Well, hey guys, that's that's offensive. That's not what's happening." And then I've been told to go back to my own country. I've been in rooms where there's been Eidos folks who have been saying things that are very homophobic or sexist or taking saying someone can't be Eidos because they identify as a, as a woman or whatever it is. Now, I also understand that there are different groups who also kind of like, who, who, who have, you know, they can trace their lineage back to like American slaves. So they call themselves Eidos, but they're not part of the group. Um, one of those groups is Foundational Black Americans. Um, so what's the difference between Eidos and FBA and 
has Adolf been putting in any work to address some of this anti-black immigrant, xenophobic, transphobic language that like I feel like I've seen and a bunch of people have seen as well? So I would I would say that we can't police everyone, right? And so you have to understand, and I would ask that you move with grace when you're dealing with descendants of slavery, because we have been oppressed and marginalized in this country for over four centuries. So there may be a bit of anger and frustration there that you might encounter. Um, but as for any affiliation with FBA, ADOS is a lineage and we are a political movement. And while we may talk to the same lineage, it's in a different way. We're out here actually advocating and doing work on the ground, trying to push policies that are gonna collectively uplift our people. That is the core of ADOS. We are a political project that is based and rooted in lineage. Um, as for the xenophobia, we are not xenophobic in any way, but we do rely on data and we have to be real and we have to talk about the data and how immigration, unfettered immigration, has impacted our communities and reshaped Black America and our opportunities in this country. So to turn a blind eye to the data is not something that we're willing to do, and we have to address that as a, as a country. It is our national responsibility. Thank you, Chad. I just, I need to follow up on Stanley's question because I do understand, you know, you keep saying that Eidos is a lineage, you know, it is, a, a being like yes it is a movement but it is literally fundamentally and genetically like a, a personhood Absolutely. so the problem i think with sort of dismissing like the homophobia or the transphobia i do understand that you see ados from a different light because you do this work every day but for someone like me who you know is a black person identifies as a black person comes from an immigrant background and is like, you know, not sort of cookie cutter, dry, straight woman, whatever, hearing these things negates my blackness. Like we have heard things like, you know, we can't allow gay black men in the movement because they perpetuate the white supremacist destruction of the black family unit. And there are people who talk about, you know, gay folks and trans folks as an abomination and unable to continue that lineage. But because it is so specifically genetic based, like how do you address that within your, your sort of organization? Do you say like, hey, these people are Eidos as well and you know we have to respect that or do you just you know choose to move away from those people if they are unwilling to overcome sort of that hate and join the political movement? We do not draw any distinctions between, on based upon sexual preference, orientation, any of our gender identity. If you're ADOS, you're ADOS, and you are part of this lineage, you're part of this tribe, and you are due restitution by this government that for 200 years plus of slavery, plus an additional century of institutionalized Jim Crow. So there is no homophobia. I, I don't see any homophobia, but I understand you might encounter that online as anyone might encounter any type of wild things online. I think one of the things you also have to be aware of that just as in the history of all collective uplift movements for black people here in this country, there's a campaign of disinformation and misinformation that's being waged on us online and in, and in mainstream media. So a lot of what you come across is meant to give you a perception of what we are talking about and what we are trying to accomplish to, to, to drive those types of misconceptions 
and to drive people away from this movement, which really is a righteous movement about justice that's long deferred. So I can't speak to your personal experiences or what you have encountered online, but I can tell you that that is not what ADOS is about. We are lineage first and we are not discriminatory against anyone who is of our tribe. Very well said. I appreciate you for that. Sorry, Selena. Just had to. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely no. So, so Chad, I, I think that, you know, when I was first introduced to Eidos, um, it did feel very divisive, you know, as someone who would be qualified as Eidos, um, who also grew up in New York City, the mm -hmm. one of the most diverse cities in the world, you know, a melting pot. Um, you know, I've, I've marched and I've aligned myself with a number of people, uh, a number of my friends even are, um, you know, their parents were immigrants. So they're immigrant born, right? They're either mm -hmm. Caribbean American or, or they were, you know, their parents were from one of the countries in Africa, et cetera. And I kind of felt like, why is this movement, um, you know, so, you know, so centered on the African-American experience and why does, why is it almost dismissive of the experiences of Caribbean Americans and other black Americans who are seen and treated and affected by white supremacy in the same exact way? What do you say to that? I would say that why are certain immigrants dismissive of the slavery that occurred in this country, the chattel slavery that occurred in this country and the institutionalized Jim Crow? What we see from immigration patterns is prior to 1965, the amount of black immigrants in this country was to the right of the decimal point on a percentage basis. So you have a group of people who have been here from the onset before there was a country. We contributed into building this country and we have consistently been marginalized and locked out of full participation and access in this country. And so the fact that you are able to immigrate to this country is largely based upon the contributions of ADOS. So I would say to that person, you're here because of what ADOS has sacrificed and put into America that created the opportunities that attracted you here. And so knowing that you should move in that space and understand that now the people who built the country are saying we are dying and we, and we need transformative public policy, a radical redistribution of wealth to save our community so that we can continue in the country that we built, in our home country that we built. So while we have always been welcoming of black immigrants, what we're seeing is that there is a certain anti-black sentiment that's running through a lot of the immigrant community that I feel, and lots of ADOS feel, that you need to have a housekeeping session of your own to address that and, and figure out why that sentiment exists in your communities. So. I just want to point out that like American imperialism is also a huge reason of why so many people across the African diaspora are coming to the United States. It's not just because folks think America's so great, let's let's go do this. It's because American imperialism, colonialization, and white supremacy. And that's why folks come here, because um, the American military complex and the Western military complex has decimated and extrapolated resources and actual human beings from these black nations. And that's why you have folks from Haiti who come here and folks from DR and folks from Jamaica and folks from Ghana and Nigeria and all these other places. So we should like, if we're gonna talk about, you know, black immigrants coming here, let's, you know, also be mindful of like some of those big pieces of why they're here. Um, and the question that I have for you is because I 100% I agree with you that ADOS cannot be expected to chase after everyone who says something ridiculous. But I was wondering, and I've checked out the ADOS website, checked out ADOS one-on-one, 
would Adolf be interested in? Do you think it would make sense to put up a, a statement of principles in which you explicitly say that you will not accept any xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia within the organization? Because as much as you say you're not experience, experiencing it, that is a dominant theme that we're seeing all over social media. And it's happening. So now I'm not saying all those people are ADOS. I actually don't believe most of those people are actually affiliated with the organization of ADOS. I will say that. However, every time folks have brought it up to leadership on ADOS, and I'm I'm talking about, I've been in rooms with the co-founder um, of ADOS, um, Yvette Carnell, who's very brilliant, by the way. Like she she's not, she's not definitive in saying we do not accept any of this language or treatment towards undocumented people or black immigrants, we don't ex we don't expect or appreciate any xenophobic or homophobic language. So is Ados considering that? And before you answer that question, for those of you who are watching, if you like this conversation or you hate it, make sure you take a screenshot and mention us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or whatever you're thinking about the comments. If you like what Chad's saying, if you hate what Stan is saying, we want to hear from you guys and we'll make sure we retweet it and comment. So Chad, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Stanley, so my call to you would be that we should be talking to white supremacy and saying we are not going to stand for any anti-ADOS sort of sentiment. I don't see that we have a need to express something that doesn't exist within our movement. We are not xenophobic. We are not homophobic. I've already said that. So I don't see the need that we need to counteract something that is non-existent or give life to a narrative that yeah, is false. It's not non-existent. That's the thing I'm telling you. You might believe it is non-existent, but I am telling you, and I have there's multiple people who will tell you, and if you don't believe me, we could just go on social media and you will see for yourself, there is an overwhelming presence of xenophobia, homophobia. Now, I am not saying all those people are ADOS. What I am saying as an organization with some very valid principles, why won't ADOS say, this is completely inappropriate. We don't support this. We want to move this way. Because as somebody who's, you know, of Haitian descent, you know, I'm not a black um, American. I don't want American reparations. I don't think I deserve it. But I want to be able to feel comfortable to support my Edo sisters and brothers in the movement. And right now, you know, I don't. And that's not because of you necessarily. That's not because of Yvette Carnell, but it's because of all the other people who have consistently come in and give Edo a bad name. Well... Uh, as with anything, Stanley, again, and you said this yourself, that we can't chase around everybody on the internet. So you said that you're you're aware of Yvette Carnell. I would urge you to listen to her YouTube show. I would urge you to listen to our show, Politics in Black and Antonio Moore's show, and learn about ADOS from the source. There is no homophobia in our movement. Now, if there are fringe people that are saying things, there are fringe, as you heard with the Proud Boys and the conservatives, there are fringe people and groups all over the internet saying all types of things. And my suspicion is a lot of what you're hearing is meant to give you the impression that we are homophobic or xenophobic in, in because we are coming and we are demanding reparations and repair, reparative justice. So you have to understand how fundamentally that challenges the systems of white supremacy here in America and the forces that exist that don't want to see that occur. So at the end of the day, I would say you should follow truth and not what you're running into as far as just random people out there online who are free to say whatever they might want to say. Well, Chad, Yvette Carnell, the co-founder of ADOS, was on a board for a group called Progressives for Immigrant Immigration Reform, and a mm -hmm. law center identified the group as an anti-immigrant hate group. So like, I'm not just talking about like individual pieces. This is like your own co-founder 
was affiliated with this group. So like, and then, like, that's that's where there's smoke, there's fire. So I'm I'm, I'm aware I'm I'm aware of Yvette. I'm aware of Yvette sitting on that board. Well, Chad, but one, I, second, one second, Chad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Like, to be very clear. Like I think we should support the statement of principles of Eidos. But I am telling you, as an ally, and I'd like to believe a co-conspirator in this movement, there are some very ugly elements here that we need to address. Because if not, I don't know how Eidos gets beyond arguing with other black people in the diaspora when we all should be focusing on untoppling white supremacy. We are very focused on toppling white supremacy and are not focused on arguments with the diaspora. But the diaspora is bringing arguments to us because of the way that we have chosen to identify ourselves and claim our own name. So, Stanley, I would tell you that focus on the truth, focus on the core of what ADOS is focused on, which is reparations and a transformative black agenda. You can either focus on the truth or you can get caught up in the noise that's going to surround us because the misinformation campaigns are going to continue. We have, we have run up against this. I've been involved in ADOS now for over two years. We've, I've seen it from the very beginning, from all types of different places where people are vested in a system of white supremacy and they are vested on keeping ADOS tethered to the bottom of this American caste system. So we are fundamentally challenging that status quo and there will be folks out there who will try to be agents of chaos. They will try to spread lies about our movement they will try to tell tell the media things that are just patently false. So you can either rock with the truth or you can you know, follow some of these breadcrumbs that are being left by agents of chaos. Literally no, the no, 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 Stanley, hold on. Let me, let me talk real quick because the problem that I'm having is this like, and it's not you, Chad, it's more like of a general nature around Eidos. It's this hostility that's either take our truth or get out of here. The problem is you want to build a political movement. You have political goals. And in order to achieve those political goals, you have to lobby, bro. You have to build a movement. You need people on your side, okay? The problem with just ignoring and saying, this doesn't exist in our movement, and if it does, you have to turn a blind eye and just look at the truth, is that people don't have to do anything. They are going out of their way to support Eidos and the fight for reparations because they are interested in them. Me personally, I am interested in the fight for reparations. However, there is a lot I can do outside of Eidos for, uh, for reparations or to support the movement for reparations instead of spending my time supporting an organization that will not put out a statement condemning problematic behavior and language within its ranks. I do understand that like, you know, you can't control what people say. And for every movement, there will be problematic behavior and there will be agents of chaos, as you call it. But look at the Black Lives Matter movement. They stepped up and said, you know, those anarchists who are ruining shops and doing this, that's not us. You know, they had to do that in order to garner enough support to actually make policy changes on criminal justice reform and police budgets across cities in America. And unfortunately, I don't see Eidos ever making that progress because it is not strong-willed enough to say, listen, enough is enough. Like, you cannot behave this way and still you know, be a part of that movement. We do not condone that. It's not saying that you're going to kick those people out because you can't police people's behavior. But I don't know why Eidos is so reluctant to just put out a statement and say, you know, we are for all Eidos people. 
Um, Chad, just quickly, because we've been talking about this statement for a long time. If you could just final words on the statement so we can move on. No, absolutely. So um, you started, Tammy, by saying you have an interest in reparations. And what we understand in our movement is that reparations is an imperative. We are we are on life support and dying. And COVID has only escalated the rate at which we're at which we're seeing our decline in this country. So reparations for us is is not really a choice. It is the only solution to continue us as a viable group in this country. And so when you say that we should address um, accusations and statements, what we are addressing is the this government that owes a debt to a specific group of people and an identity and reclaiming an identity that has long been uh, kept kept from us. And we have been told that we don't have identity or that we are part of something that we're not part of. And so we are focused on self-love and making sure that our group is proud, understanding who we are, and that we're pushing forward on this political project. And when you say that we need to have coalitions, I agree with you. We do need to build, we do need to build partnerships with groups, but those partnerships come with terms and conditions. And it has to be based upon data and historical fact and not just emotion innuendo. So what we are saying is that reparations is the imperative. And if you want to be uh, aligned with ADOS, you should see that imperative very clearly through the data and the historical record. And I don't I don't see how that uh, runs afoul of anything that that we are doing or saying i mean they're again there are rogue agents out there but we don't control those people um you know chad as we start to bring this conversation to a close i do think that what united what unites all of us is the fight for black liberation uh we talk about that a lot here on be heard talk uh we may differ on the strategies but the goal if you ask me is definitely the same and you know stanley you know as we wrap this panel i actually want to start with you because you have said offline that, you know, you think the, the best strategy for black liberation is pan-Africanism. Um, why and how do you think that would be the best way? So first off, if you're a true pan-Africanist, then like you absolutely must accept ADOS because any movement within the black diaspora fighting for the liberation and the safety of black people is a movement that you want to be supportive of. But also within Pan-Africanism, the basic principle is that like anywhere you are in the world, it doesn't matter. As long as you're a part of the black diaspora, we are in this together and we are working together to topple white supremacy and capitalism. And that's the only way that we win because there has been no movement where one person or one individual group has been able to un to topple white supremacy or the terrors that they have put on black people and on brown people. So if we are really committed to liberating our people, we have to understand that our liberation is tied to each other. And that means having honest conversations, honest conversations about the real and serious anti-Blackness that exists within the Black Caribbean community and the African community as well. There's some serious anti-Blackness, some serious anti-Black Americanness there. But also we had to talk about the serious anti-Blackness that Black Americans had towards Caribbean Black people and African Black people. And we have to understand that even though we have our differences and even though we do have challenges, the number one enemy should and always should be white supremacy. And the minute you move away from that being the target and that being the thing that we are trying to topple, that is when we lose. Because while we're fighting with each other, I'll tell you one thing right now, the white man is working together to, to topple all of us. 
Tammy, what are your final thoughts on the fight for black liberation and in your strategy and in your philosophy, is Ados included in that? You know, I hate to say it, but especially after this conversation, I cannot support Ados. I have heard some brilliant things come out of the mind of some Ados individuals, including you, Chad. You have been very well spoken. Uh, respectful. And, you know, I've heard wonderful things about class stratification within the black community, which is absolutely true and has opened my eyes. But like Stanley said, blackness affects us in so many similar ways around the world. One comment from Sister Ella said, if you don't want to support Eidos, then don't look for Eidos individual people to march. And that in of itself is my problem with Eidos. You are black. I am black. We are both perceived as black by white people. So I don't need to be paid out because I, my parents are not descendant from uh, chattel slavery in America. But I would march with you because it's what you deserve. And having grown up alongside you in Black American communities, I absolutely understand what you are saying, what you are demanding. But statements like that prove that there can't be solidarity when you consider us as inherently different and white people are clapping to themselves the whole time. Because guess what? That is what white supremacy wants. It doesn't want black people to line and march with each other, okay? It doesn't want us to have numbers and majority. So unfortunately, I cannot be part of a movement that you know, even if it isn't inherently divisive, encourages divisiveness and does not check divisiveness when prompted to. We Chad, are not, go, I, um, Chad, your last words on um, the comments that were made and also uh, why you feel ADOS is the best way for black liberation. Absolutely. So we recognize at ADOS that these divisions already existed. They existed prior to ADOS. When we talk about Pan-Africanism, we have to have the realization that Africa is a continent, not a country, of 54 disparate countries that don't have solidarity within themselves as a unit. And so an idea that as Black Americans, we have solidarity with a continent that we have no knowledge of and, and no real connection to, and that's just, that's, that's a fantastical thought. And I hear you, Tammy, about, um, your immigrant, your immigrant uh, lineage and ancestry. But I would say that when you came here or when your ancestors came here, they came for opportunity that was created on the backs of ADOS from, from our oppression, from our enslavement and from wealth extraction of resources out of our communities. And so to come here, we have always been welcoming of all immigrants. We, we, you lived with us, like you said, you've been in our communities. We don't have an anti-immigrant sentiment within our communities. What we do have is an imperative and a, and a wealthy gap that we are being crushed under that we have to recognize. It is a very specific condition that afflicts us. And it's not based on melanin content. It is not based on just flat blackness. It is based on a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, which makes us ADOS. That is our lineage. That is who we are. So just as you immigrate here, I'm not sure from where your folks immigrated from, but we did not ask you to abdicate that piece of yourself, that identity of yourself. You are still very proud of that, obviously. 
And so all we are asking for is the ability to be proud of who we are and what we have contributed to this country, because it is specific. It is not the same. It is not flat across all black groups. We have a very specific condition and we have very specific interests that must be met or else we're not going to see a future in this country. Well, on that note, I do want to thank you, Chad, for joining this conversation. Uh, we definitely could have continued to dig deep, but we have to wrap it up here. Uh, it's a conversation that I think needs to continue to be had across uh, the country. Um, Chad and, and Edos, they bring up a number of valid points, which we have accredited here. I do think for some of us, um, we're not 100% aligned, and that's okay. Because I feel like, you know, the principles that Adolf stands on and, and the momentum that the group is building um, is going to continue to grow and build. And, you know, I'm somebody who believes in the collective liberation of all black people. I'm somebody who believes that, you know, no matter where I am in the world, I will always be considered black. And no matter what police or, you know, what type of um, police encounter I have, that police officer, especially if they're white, are going to consider me black this regardless of my lineage so i do think that we do have some you know some collective um alignment there um but on that note we are going to have to wrap it up i want to thank everyone who tuned in and chimed in to be her talk i also want to thank again our media partner black enterprise and our media sponsor black spectrum theater guys we talk race politics and culture every sunday right here streaming on all social media platforms that allow us to stream and uh, we'll see you again next week thank you thank you